morning again. Would you please join me in opening up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, page 975. I'm encouraged by you, Christy, persevering through that prayer. I know that was, that's those technical, technical difficulties hang me up too, but appreciate you pushing through and leading us in prayer this morning. And I hope that this morning has been an encouragement to you so far. As we arrive at our passage in Galatians, we only have about 20 to 25 minutes or so to cover one of the most well-known lists in Scripture, commonly known as the fruit of the Spirit. And for those who might be visiting this morning or watching online uh, and you're asking yourself, wait, 20 to 25 minutes is a short sermon? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, but we are still looking forward to see what the Lord will do through it. And, and if you did miss last week, uh, being Labor Day, or no, not yet, Memorial Day weekend, I do think it would be helpful for you uh, to go back and listen to that sermon, because this morning will essentially be an extension of last week. And in a quick recap of last week, um, what we saw is that Paul, up to this point in this letter, to the church in Galatia has spent a good amount of time focusing on the content of the gospel. One of his major focuses, one of the major reasons why he wrote this letter is to talk about the pure gospel, emphasizing that there's no other gospel except the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's Christ alone who was sent by God to restore a fallen creation. It was Christ alone who fulfilled the law perfectly. It's Christ alone who gave his life as an atonement for sin to restore and forgive all those who place their faith in him. And then towards the end of the letter, which we started seeing a couple of weeks ago, as he starts to kind of wind down, he shifted gears a little bit to make the point that a professing believer in their life should reflect the kind of faith that they claim. Meaning, he is saying, being a Christian, it should be noticeable. It should do something. It should mean something. That saving faith is not just this intellectual exercise of knowing the right questions and the right answers to the right questions. But the gospel, it changes things. It changes people. It changes you. It transforms and rightly orders your affections and then your actions and, and then your thoughts and everything you do day in and day out. And so what I emphasized last week that Paul's um, exhortation to live by the Spirit is kind of the language he's been using at this point in the letter, to live by the Spirit and not the desires of the flesh, is not just for their sake, not just for the sake of the church in Galatia, but I think he was also saying it for the sake of the city of Galatia. Meaning, the reason why Paul planted a church there to begin with is because Galatia needed churches. The world needs faithful churches planted, raised up, grown for the glory of God, to shine bright. And so the question that they're facing, the question that we 2,000 years later as a church is still facing is this, how can the church be a disruptive witness in the town, city, or context they're located in? How can we be a disruptive witness? The answer, in part, is to not give in to the desires of the flesh. That will do harm to the gospel. That will do harm to the glory of God. But rather to walk in step with the Spirit. And last week again, we, we listed out the examples of the work of the flesh. And now we pick it up in verse 22 of Galatians 5. We're going to read 22 to 20. 
6. If you don't have a Bible, you, there's a blue pew Bible in front of you, and you can find the passage we're in on page 975. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In this list, known as the fruit of the Spirit, what you get is this well-rounded picture of Christian godliness. It is an image of someone who has received God's grace, has received God's goodness upon their life, and then seeks to walk in step with the Holy Spirit that is now within them. As I said earlier, it's a well-known list. A lot of you guys probably have it memorized. If you're like my wife, you have about six songs that you could sing right now about the fruit of the Spirit. She will ask, them, ask her for them. We, we know them all. For good reason. It, it, it's a common list because uh, it, again, gives you this picture of godliness. And, but he, here's, here's what I think, here's what I perceive, that it is unfortunately easily mistaught or misapplied. The first thing we need to know about the fruit of the Spirit is that it's fruit. It is the product of the Holy Spirit's presence within the life of a believer. And so the purpose of our lives as believers is to glorify God, to live out our calling, and to be, again, a disruptive witness in the world. This collective list of fruit, I think, will do more to reach the world than any sort of kind of resentful condemnation, us against them mentality that the church might have in the world. To the question of what's going to further God's kingdom in this world, if you were to be asked that, Will it be a certain ministry philosophy? Will it be a very well-oiled political agenda? Will it be engaging in hot topic debates and owning the other side? Will it be a culture war strategy that we need to come up with and deploy that will win this world for Christ? I think that's what we often see today. I think the Bible answers the question of what will further God's kingdom in this way. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you think that's too naive. Maybe you think that's ignorant. But I would contend that I have 2,000 years of history that show this to be the case far more than condemning the world around us. And so if this is what it looks like, how can we produce fruit by walking in step with the Spirit? How can it happen? Again, as an extension of last week, this is in a sense the final point of last week's sermon. It's the final application of last week's exposition of Galatians 5, 16 to 26. And, and what I want to do in this kind of more applicational, more practical driven sermon is to provide a grid, an application grid that has deeply shaped me. And it came from a man named John Piper, that you might have heard of, maybe not. I first heard this grid specifically in the context of preparing for and preaching sermons. 
but it is a grid that I think is effective for the entirety of the Christian life. It can be both broad and narrow. I've never forgotten it, and maybe it will be forgettable for you, but maybe not. And again, we're asking and answering the question, how can I produce the fruit of the Spirit? Because again, if you've been around church a long time and you know what it looks like and you find your life just aiming for these things than themselves, but you never answer the question, how is this going to look in my life? How will this play out? What's Tuesday look like walking in the Spirit? This is an acronym, APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. Don't think it's a real word. APTAT. And we're going to walk through the five things one at a time, but they are acknowledge, pray, trust, act, thank. It's a grid you can use each and every day as you seek to live as a disruptive witness to shine the light of Christ in a dark world. Starting with number one, acknowledge. First, we acknowledge that we are powerless to produce fruit apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul is making it clear what ought to mark the day-to-day lived experience of the believer in this fallen world in these verses. Think about the phrasing he's giving us here. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit, which is to say, he writes, walk in step with the Spirit. We cannot love in the way God has called us to love unless we have the Spirit and then choose to walk in step with that spirit. Do you know what he's saying here? you know what he's implying? It's possible to be a believer, to have the spirit, but then not walk in step with the spirit. We cannot experience this kind of joy in our lived day-to-day experience or show the kind of kindness or practice the kind of gentleness that is needed without the spirit. And let's not forget what Paul has wrote about on repeat throughout this letter. You don't get the Spirit by walking in the Spirit. You get the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who has saved us. And upon repenting from sin, you heard it in Peter's testimony, upon repenting from seeking worldly pursuits for our own glory, and we trust in Jesus, we're restored, forgiven of that sin, we receive the Spirit and then choose to walk in it. Uh, Francis Chan, he, he wrote in his book, Forgotten God, quote, I don't want my life to make sense without the Holy Spirit. And I think that goes for individuals. I think that can also go for the church. I don't want Grace Church to make sense without the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to look at my life and say that, yeah, I can connect the logical dots, the upbringing he had, the kind of world he grew up in, maybe the tragedies he's experienced, or you think about your life or someone else, so they kind of get to know your background, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got them figured out. I know why they do the things they do. I know why they got that kind of courage. I know why they got that kind of shame. I, I want my life to not make sense to you because of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to follow the logical trajectory. I don't want you to think you got me pinned down. I want to live my life before you in certain ways to make you go, you know what? That doesn't make sense. How can he be kind in that way? How can he practice that kind of patience based upon what he's gone through or what she's experienced, the kind of trauma she's had? How can she have that kind of self-control? You know, today, uh, as Megan reminded me this past week, is Pentecost Sunday. And if you think about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and they went out and they preached 
and the church grew by 3,000 in a single day. What is the difference between the disciples before Acts chapter 2 and after? When before they were fearful, they were cowardly, they were praying in an upper room, wondering what's going to happen to them. They've abandoned Jesus not too long before. You would think they walked with Jesus for three years. They saw his miracles. They saw what he did in this world. You'd think that would be the moment that if Jesus was there, they would have that kind of boldness. But it's not. What was the difference? It's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. After Acts chapter 2, you read what happens, and you go, that doesn't make sense, except the fact that the Holy Spirit came. And so we want to daily acknowledge that we are powerless without the Holy Spirit. We want to deliver that fresh blow to our pride each and every day. And let that be the fuel to step into our calling every day. That's number one. Number two, pray. First we acknowledge. Second, we pray. In John chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was arrested, Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. A simple command, ask me. Ask me. God is a good father. And just as an earthly father, that who we would consider a good dad, loves to give good gifts to his children, that their joy will be complete, that will enable them to thrive in their life, how much more then does our heavenly father love to give good gifts? And you know, if you, as you read the Bible, you, you, you begin to notice there are certain prayers in the Bible that God will never say no to. Do you know that? There are certain prayers that you ask of God and he'll never say no, including the prayer that we would be strengthened by the Spirit to overcome the desires of the flesh. It's a prayer I need every single day. And God will never hear that prayer and say, you know what, today... Today, Aaron, I'd rather you give in to the flesh. It's not power I want to give you today. Maybe tomorrow, come back tomorrow. Today, I want you to sin. Today, I want you to give in. It's never going to be his response. And then the kind of life that we're called to live, not an easy life. It's not. And it cannot be produced by willpower, no matter how disciplined and type A you might be. Not willpower, but spirit power. It's why Paul says in verse 25, after he gives the list, list that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The only reason why you could keep in step with the Spirit is because the Spirit is alive in you. And his grace works in you as you abide in him. Uh, back to Jesus in John chapter 15 now, he says this, Abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I think this is unbelievably important in this passage. I heard Pastor Alistair Begg say once, we must never forget, hang with me here, we are saved by faith, not by fruit. But we are not saved by fruitless faith. We're saved by faith, not fruit. But we're not saved by fruitless faith. And what happens is you often do hear teaching, or, you, or, or maybe you, I, probably, I think I have fallen victim to this, is that you teach the fruit of the Spirit as essentially moralism. Aim for these things. 
Again, put them on your fridge. Be more loving. Be kinder. Have self-control, and you're good. And you can try to do that without the gospel. You could actually miss the gospel in trying to produce the fruit of the gospel. And I think the context of Galatians and this passage, Paul is making the exact opposite point. The way to grow and show fruit is to walk by the Spirit, not by moralistic improvement. And so if I could ask you to ask yourself this honest question in your own heart, the, the exhortation to pray and ask God for this is simple. But we don't do it. What would your life look like if you prayed each day, Lord, empower me to live by your spirit today. Lord, empower me to resist my selfish desires, to grow and show the fruit of the spirit in my life, in all my daily interactions. Lord, empower me to walk the walk today. What would your life look like if you prayed that every day? Let us all be careful of the temptation to practically and functionally de-platform the practice of prayer in our lives. Knowing how to pray is not the same as praying. Pray each day. Number two. Now we move to number three. Aptat. To the first T, trust. This is the point that we walk by the Spirit by faith. We believe. Faith, Hebrews says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And so we acknowledge and we pray, and then the kind of hinge moment that's going to be the make or break of your day each day is the willingness to trust in him who you prayed to. You acknowledge that you can't do it. You ask him to empower you, and the hinge moment, the make or break moment of your day each and every day for the kingdom of God is whether or not you're going to trust that prayer. Let me be clear. You don't believe in the wording of your prayers to deliver you. You don't believe in your own humility or discipline to say, I got up a little extra early today and I prayed today. We believe in the one whom we're praying to. You trust it. This is one of the reasons why I think daily Bible engagement is so important and why we talk about it so much at Grace Church, whether that's reading or listening to the word each day. Because if prayer is speaking to God, reading your Bible is God speaking to you. And I think Bible engagement or prayer are so vital to pair together because when his word reveals his character or nature in a passage, there is something in that passage each day that you can cling to to trust. One practical tip to listen for in, in your daily Bible engagement, whether you're trying to start with five minutes a day or you're kind of going through the whole Bible in a year and you're keeping up with that schedule, is to listen for and pick one character trait a day that was evident in that passage that you can think on God for that day. A character of God. Example, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his omniscience, his grace, his justice. An aspect of his character that you can dwell upon to increase your trust in the one whom you just prayed to. This is the hinge moment. And the reality is we don't know his timing. We don't know and understand a lot of his ways in our life. We struggle with certain things longer than we struggle with others. There are certain seasons when we really feel like we're battling. But we know we can trust him. And it is this trust that then propels us into number four, act. 
we acknowledge, we pray, we trust, and then we start walking. You got to live. You got a day you have to carry out. You have to act one step in front of the other. And we pour ourselves out with everything we got in life for his glory. This is why I have the strong conviction. This can be easily misunderstood, but I have the strong conviction, con- conviction that Christians should be the hardest workers of anyone in the world. The most disciplined workers. Not because work is our God, but because God is our God. And if we truly work in the Spirit, we are free to work hard without restraint. And I don't mean just your vocation work. I mean work at being a husband, work at being a father, work at being a friend, work at being a son or daughter, and including whatever daily vocation you may or may not have right now. Recall what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but by the grace of God, important start, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. You see that verse? It gets bookended by the grace of God. But in the middle, he says, I worked hard. I worked hard. That grace fueled my work. The grace of God does not make us lazy Christians. It provides motivation to walk by the Spirit and to see our very ordinary natural lives repurposed to glorify His name and further His kingdom. When you live by the Spirit, there are no ordinary days in the kingdom of God. That Tuesday coming up, it's not just a Tuesday. It's a day to glorify God for the good of His kingdom. There's no ordinary days. You're never going to wake up and go, it's just a mundane, ordinary day I need to get through. I understand that mentality, but that doesn't have to be our mentality. There's a well-known story about Martin Luther, who um, uh, during the early stages of the Reformation, a a working-class German man came to faith in Christ through Luther's ministry. And so he approached Luther to ask, how, now that he's a Christian, how can he serve the Lord? How should I act? Luther asked him, well, what's your work now? And the man replied, I'm a shoemaker. To the man's surprise, Luther simply said, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. He went on to say, the Christian shoemaker doesn't do his job by putting little crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Walking by the Spirit repurposes our ordinary lives for his glory. And it's only by the Spirit that you can walk in the midst of every emotion you may experience across, the, across, the, across your life. Joy and grief and fear and gladness and anger and confusion. That each day we can truly trust God and then do the next thing. And some days, by God's grace, you will have the courage to act in the power of the Spirit that looks like something extraordinary. And other days, maybe most days, the courage to act in the power of the Spirit looks like getting out of bed, taking a shower, and going to work. But every day, it looks like taking one step at a time. And then that leads us to last, number five. Thank. We get towards the end stage of our day, and we don't let that day pass without reflecting on our day and thanking Him for what He has done in us. Let me, let me give one personal example here. Um, 
Last year, our entire staff did an assessment with an organization called Strengths Finder. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've done it yourself. And it's out of kind of 40 separate categories or strengths. Uh, it gives you, after a pretty in-depth assessment, your top five. What are the top five strengths that you have? And each strength, you know, it says is, is, is neutral, right? Because it's, it becomes either positive or negative, whether it is done in the flesh or done in the spirit. That's what we say when we mean, that's what we mean when we say your biggest strength could become your biggest weakness if it's done in the flesh. But if it's done in the spirit, it is a strength, it is a positive. And in my top five was the strength of an achiever, an achiever. And I was talking to one of the consultants with Strength Finder that Pastor Joe linked me up with, and he said to this, and it hit me square in the forehead, he said, in the spirit, an achiever is working hard for God's glory, for his will, and for the good of furthering his kingdom in this world. In the flesh, an achiever works for his own glory, to gain control over other people, and then in, in situations I'm involved with. And so he said to me, let me give you a practical example. He says, so you're an achiever. You probably are a, a, a to-do list kind of guy, aren't you? And I'm just sitting there. This was on Zoom. I was like, yeah, I am. Love to-do lists. He said, all right, let's say it's Tuesday. And you start your Tuesday. You've got 15 things on your to-do list. And you get to the end of your work day. And it's time to go home for dinner to your family. And you got to 10 of them. In the spirit you go home to your family at night and you're grateful to God that he gave you the strength to do those 10 things. And then tomorrow's another day to try to do the other five. He says, in the flesh, you go home to your family at night and you're bothered by the fact that there are still five things you didn't get to that day. And I almost fell off my chair. In all your daily comings and goings, in all the unique ways that God has gifted and wired you, you can live in the flesh, or you can carry those out in the spirit, in all your activities, in all your work, in all your relationships. And to be spirit-led, however God has uniquely wired you, is to think, feel, and act in a way where God gets the glory and we seek his kingdom first. And so in this way, when we walk by the spirit, we get to go to bed tired because we worked hard that day. We get to go to bed grateful because we know we are not valued or loved based on how hard we worked that day. And I believe when we walk by the Spirit, God will, over time, work in us the full picture of godliness. I think if we apply this grid in our lives, what you will see over time is fruit begin to grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as a church, God will then work through us to do, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, to let our light shine before others so that they might see our good works but give glory, give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so, Lord, I, I mean, church, as I close... Let me again admonish us, what an opportunity to be the church, where God has placed us in this time, in this location, what an opportunity to be the church. The darker the room, the brighter the candle shines. And if you think that's unrealistic, that's fine. 
But if you're with me, let's let it shine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how practical your word does get, Lord, that does not just stay in intellectual, kind of vague categories of life, but we can see the very real impact that you desire to have in our lives, Lord, each and every day. And Lord, every day we will not 100% succeed in walking in step with your spirit. That our lives will be two steps forward and one step back until we reach glory. But I pray, Lord, that we would not let ourselves off the hook too easily. I pray that there might be some honest introspection happening later today in this week to discern whether we are walking in the power of the Spirit that you have placed in us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and discernment to apply this to our lives wherever we are currently located in this season of life. I pray that we be quick to repent and confess, knowing that you will be quick to restore and redeem. And that, Lord, you would let your light shine through the fruit that is born in the life of Grace Church, both us as individuals and as a corporate body, a corporate faith community. And we pray, Lord, this would all truly be for your glory. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond in song and prepare to take the Lord's Supper?